Hi, this is Ann Robertson, pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from yesterday, October 15th, preached here in Westford. The text is based on the epistle lesson, which was Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. What you'll hear on the recording is the gospel lesson, which always immediately precedes the sermon, which was the Beatitudes. It's not irrelevant to what I had to say, but the sermon text was really the Colossians text. The title of the sermon is Live It, not Live It, Live It. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the fifth chapter, the first 12 verses that we more generally call the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Back in the summer of 2001, I had rented a cabin up in Nova Scotia and was there for a month and ended up having a conversation with a man named Tim who was the bookkeeper of the place. And things turned to religion and he started to tell me about his past with the church. He grew up Irish Catholic and as a child he was very involved in the church. He was an altar boy. He told me of his love for the church, his attraction to things of faith, and his belief in the God that the rituals and the symbols represented. And then came adolescence, that time of life when you begin to see and notice things that you hadn't seen and noticed before, the time you come to question things that you'd just taken for granted up till that time. And what Tim noticed in his adolescence was that the faith that was so ardently professed on Sunday didn't seem to make the slightest bit of difference in the lives of the people the rest of the week. From the priest on down to the folks in the pews, it was all a sham. Do what you please through the week, go to church and confession, and you're good to go. And in the case of Tim's parish, it wasn't even that he had some sort of high and mighty ideal for what people should be the rest of the week. They weren't even good by secular standards, he said. Many were absolute scoundrels. They cheated and they lied and they were generally people that were unpleasant to be around. And as he noticed all of that, something inside of Tim broke. He felt used somehow, deluded by these people into thinking faith was something when they knew all along that it was nothing. It was a grand and glorious fake. He left the church 
and he never looked back. Now professing only the words that he used when I first arrived at the place and he learned that I was a minister. I'm not a very religious person. Can't say that I blame him. And I'm telling you this story because it's not unique. It's not unique to Tim or to Irish Catholics. I bet if I canvassed the congregation here this morning, many of you could tell me similar stories. The problem is everywhere, and it's been around for a long time. My response to Tim was that the state of the church that he described is largely the fault of the clergy. Because somewhere along the line, we get the notion that religion was about rules. Do this and don't do that. The Catholic tradition tended to focus those rules around the church so that what you had to do was show up, especially on certain holy days, go to confession, pray the rosary, and I'm sure many of you can name the list a lot better than I can. If you did those things you were in, and things that weren't mentioned on the list were up to you. Now, before we go looking down our noses at the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches have had their own version. Only our case, it tends to be a list not of do this, but don't do that. Don't drink, don't swear, don't dance, don't gamble. And, of course, we have the don'ts of most of the Ten Commandments. For crying out loud, at least the Catholics get to do something. (laughs) For us, showing up on Sunday morning, and in some cases all day Sunday and Wednesday nights, was it. If I went home and just sat like a bump on a log for the whole rest of the week, I was clear, hadn't sinned. I think we find something different than those two extremes when we look at the passage from Colossians. What we see in that passage that Hannah read to us so wonderfully is while rules have their place, the defining mark of a Christian is not rules but character. Yeah, there are some specifics that we're told to avoid. In verses 5 through 9, we hear that our lives as Christians should seek to eliminate things like immorality, greed, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, lying. The New Testament never eliminates the need to work with everything within us to avoid sin. On that count, the New Testament just gives us the hope that as we're in the process of trying, there is grace and forgiveness when we mess up. But the promise of forgiveness is for those who are seriously trying to be better. It's not an easy absolution for those who don't really care. But what I really want us to notice is the list of things that Paul gives us after that, the list of things that we are to do. Lo and behold, it's not a list of rules. They're not really a list of things that we're supposed to do. They're a list of things we're supposed to be. They're about character and not about rules. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We're to be forgiving of one another, to love one another, to let peace rule in our hearts, and to be thankful. While all of those things become evident in what we do, they don't represent the actions themselves. They represent the kind of heart from which good actions spring. It's especially easy to see the difference in the last of Paul's list, to be thankful. Most of us have been conditioned to say thank you when we receive a gift. Sometimes we carry this to ridiculous extremes. I don't know about you, but I find myself when I'm checking out at the grocery store And I've just paid an exorbitant amount of money to the cashier for my food. And I say, thank you, and I go away. (laughs) 
I drive through the toll booth and I give the person in the booth a dollar and say, thank you, and I drive away. Pretty sick. I'm not thankful that I've done all that. But I'll bet almost everybody in this room has at one time or another said, thank you, when we weren't really thankful. You open that Christmas gift from Aunt Sally. In your heart, you want to run to the bathroom and throw up. But instead, you smiled sweetly and said, oh, thank you, it's just what I wanted. You've been going full tilt with all sorts of people and issues pulling you in a thousand directions. The doorbell rings and it's your in-laws. We know how stressed you've been, so we've come for a month to help. (laughs) Oh, how thoughtful of you. Come on in. (laughs) In all of those instances, the thanks are expressed. But often there's not true thankfulness behind it. Saying the words and following the rule doesn't ensure that there's anything really to back it up. And that's what Tim saw in his church. And that's what this passage could help us, I think, to avoid. Don't worry so much about the rule. Focus on character. Focus on who you are. If your family and friends were given a sheet of paper with those traits that Paul listed on them, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, thankfulness, And if they were asked to rate you on a scale of 1 to 10 on each one of those things, how would it go? If you're a compulsive gambler, I doubt it's going to do much good to focus on not gambling. It's like the old psychological test, you know, don't think about a white bear. You try not to think about a white bear, and all you think about is a white bear. But maybe if you're a compulsive gambler, if you worked on being patient, that might have an effect on the gambling. It's tough to hold your tongue if you've fallen into the trap of gossip. But maybe if you worked on compassion, the gossiping would drift away on its own. The point of Christian faith has never been to force nasty characters to abide by a good set of rules. If we'd open our eyes, we see it doesn't even work in law enforcement. The point of faith is to mold our character to the character of Christ so that good works will in time flow as naturally as light from a lighted candle. I got very frustrated at our annual conference a few years back, that gathering of all the United Methodists in New England that sets the rules for Methodists in New England and how we'll live our life together. And there was a resolution that came up about tithing which is the biblical practice of giving 10% of your income to the work of the church. The intent of the resolution was to insist that every pastor and every lay delegate to the annual conference, of which there's, there's one for every pastor, to have all of them be required to tithe. Well, in one sense, I was all for it. As some of you know, my mother was part of the National Tithing Task Force for the American Baptist Churches. I have tithed as long as I've known about money. And certainly the more people do that, the more we can simply go about the mission of the church without having to worry about campaigns and fundraising letters. If everybody in this church tithed, we'd retire our mortgage debt tomorrow. But I was opposed to the resolution because the focus was on rules, not character. I don't want people paying a tithe to the church the way we pay our taxes, with resentment and misgiving. That's like blood money almost, but it's not someone else's blood, it's our own. I don't want any rule that says anybody has to give 10%. 
Maybe it's because I have such deep roots in New Hampshire with the live free or die thing. (laughs) Having that sort of rule in the church might fill some coffers, and it does in the churches that have those rules. But I think it can be deadly to the spirit where people are following a rule rather than learning to respond in gratitude. When we give in response to a rule, it feels less like us giving and more like God taking from us. But I do with all my heart want to help us to move to be people of thankfulness. If we allow the Holy Spirit to reshape our character so that we live out of gratitude for all that we've been given, I think we in the church would quickly find ourselves in the position of Moses as he sought to build the tabernacle in the wilderness and asked the people to bring things for the building of the tabernacle fresh from remembering their liberation from being slaves in Egypt. They brought and they brought and they brought until Moses had to say, enough, enough, we got more than enough. I don't know many churches where we've had to say that. (laughs) I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about the things the rules represent. I'm just saying that if we focus on Christian character, I think Christian behavior will in time take care of itself, and not just in giving, but in everything. Who are you, really? What's your character? What would other people say? What are the adjectives that people use who best describe you? When I sit down with people and am preparing a funeral service, I always ask that of family members. What are some adjectives that describe your loved one? What would they say of you? Compassion? Kindness? Humility? Meekness? Patience? Forgiving, loving, peaceful, thankful. Chances are we all have some work to do on our character. I know that I do. Many of you know that I do. But I wanted to lift this up in order to remind us that our character is our witness. Those of us who've taken the name Christian upon ourselves are proclaiming to God in our worship that in some ways... Christ is like us, and we are like Christ. We have named ourselves after Christ. We're in the process of becoming like Christ. When we say we are Christian, like Jesus, and then show our character to be something different, we've done much more harm than someone who swears. They swear with our lips, but we blaspheme with our lives. It's one of the reasons we're drafting a behavioral covenant in the church to remind us that our behavior is our witness and it matters. Now, I don't want anybody crawling under the pews here. The good news of the gospel is that there's both help available for transformation and forgiveness when we stumble. But I do insist that we ought to be trying. The news of God's grace and forgiveness has never meant that we can do what we please and God will automatically forgive us. We can see the difference when we think about parenting. In a home with loving parents, the behavior of the children always matters. But if a child, say, breaks a lamp, there's a vast difference in the response of the parents to a child who broke it while trying to clean the windows and the child who broke it because he or she was aiming at it with a BB gun. The intention matters. It's the same with God. God is patient and compassionate in all those great things that we're trying to be. 
So God understands when we stumble in our efforts. But God does want us to be making the effort. And so does the world around us. There's a whole world of Tims out there. Folks who really, somewhere in their hearts, want this faith thing to be true. They want to know that there's help for the journey and forgiveness rather than condemnation for sin. They want to believe that there is a God whose nature is love. But so often we block the way by not showing that in our lives. So how do we unblock it? First, I think we've got to stop projecting the ridiculous notion that church is a place where perfect people go. That wasn't even the case of Jesus' own disciples, let alone the church. On any given Sunday morning, there are people here of all ages and stages of faith, even of no faith at all. The thing that opens us up to the charge of hypocrisy is not being in the church while we're sinners. By that definition, we're all hypocrites and we may as well go home. Rather, the kind of hypocrisy Jesus comes down on is when we take the further step of proclaiming ourselves to be Christian when we're not really putting forth the first effort to become Christ-like. Now, that's a lifelong time. It's not that you, okay, I'm a Christian tomorrow and then I'm perfect. It's being intentional about trying. To be a Christian is not about rules. It's not about showing up on Sundays, tithing, or cooking for church suppers. It's not about what we do. It's not even about what we refrain from doing. It's who we are. It's about our sincere effort to mold our character to the character of Christ. If that's not your sincere desire, you're still more than welcome to be here. We're still glad to have you with us. But please, if you don't seriously... If you don't sincerely want to become a person of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, and thanksgiving, don't go calling yourself Christian. Say you're exploring the Christian faith. Say you're studying religion. Say you attend a Christian church. But for the sake of those who are watching, for the sake of the children, for the sake of your own soul, don't take the name in vain. Again, none of us is perfect. When we name ourselves as Christian, we sign up simply to be trying, to be working on it, to be wanting to become better than we are. I certainly haven't become perfect by a long stretch. We'll all still stumble and fall, and sometimes we stumble and we fall a lot. And that's why Paul says, bear with one another. But we should at least be trying if we take the name. Are you a Christian? Do you want to be? Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music.